Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From the pages of The New Yorker, this is the Weekly Comment Podcast. In Might and Right, George Packer writes about how the president and his new national security advisor, John Bolton, are in an especially bad position to respond to the atrocities in Syria. In August of 2013, the Syrian regime of Bashar al-Assad fired rockets with the nerve agent Sarin at the eastern Ghouta area, just outside Damascus. Within minutes, more than 1,400 civilians, including hundreds of children, began convulsing, choking, and foaming at the mouth, then died of suffocation. President Obama reacted to the atrocity which not only crossed, but obliterated his self-described red line for taking action in the Syrian civil war by having the U.S. military draw up a plan to destroy Assad's small air force. Then, after deliberating with his inner circle, Obama called off the attack, citing a lack of congressional authorization and of international support. He later said that he was proud of having defied the pressure to look strong. Unfortunately, the subsequent deal struck by the United States and Russia to remove Assad's chemical weapons stockpiles was full of loopholes, weakly enforced, and ultimately circumvented by Syria and Russian deception. The lesson that Assad seemed to draw from Obama's lonely act of self-liberation was that the West would not interfere the next time he gassed his own people. Last April, Assad used sarin on Khan Sheikhoun, a rebel-held town in northern Syria, killing at least 70. President Trump's advisors found it difficult to focus his attention on the enormity of the act, until his daughter Ivanka, after seeing pictures of dead children with foam around their lips and nostrils, spoke to him. The president ordered 59 Tomahawk cruise missiles to be fired at the base from which the gas attacks had been launched. It was the first direct American strike against the Assad regime since the start of the war in 2011, and Trump was widely praised. The next day, Syrian planes took off from the same base and bombed more civilians. Trump never followed up, and the war went on. Almost exactly a year later, on April 7th, chemical weapons, chlorine, and perhaps even stronger agents again rained death on eastern Ghouta asphyxiating more than 40 civilians in the town of Douma. The president threatened airstrikes and warned Moscow to stay out of the way. Get ready, Russia, because they will be coming, nice and new and smart, he tweeted. You shouldn't be partners with a gas-killing animal who kills people and enjoys it. Syria and Russia, of course, say that the reports from Douma are fake news. Poison gas, which kills with particular cruelty and indiscriminateness, has been internationally outlawed since shortly after the First World War, but in Syria it has become a conventional weapon. Human Rights Watch has confirmed more than 50 government attacks. Assad regularly uses chlorine for tactical advantage, and it works. The attack on Douma, coming at the end of two months of bombardment, forced rebels to surrender one of their last important strongholds. But he is also making a point. He is showing Syrians that he will do whatever it takes to hold on to power, that they are helpless, that no one will come to their aid. Who can argue otherwise? 
Most of the gas attacks have gone unremarked upon in the outside world, unless they result in horrible pictures. And in those cases, the Western response has been so uncertain that it has only encouraged Assad to keep going. Whether the American president is a judicious rationalist who cares about international law and disdains the cowboy image, or an impulsive narcissist who is indifferent to every norm and just wants to look tough, the images from Syria are the same. Trump is in an especially bad position to respond to these atrocities. Unlike every other president since Jimmy Carter, he doesn't even offer human rights the compliment of hypocrisy. His foreign policy is simple. Might makes right. He has championed brutal rulers like the Philippine president, Rodrigo Duterte, and the Saudi royal family, shrugged at genocidal killings in Burma, and pushed our military to use levels of violence that have sent civilian casualties in Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan soaring. Under Trump, it is nearly impossible for refugees from the Syrian civil war to find a haven in this country. John Bolton, his new national security advisor, describes international organizations and treaties as threats to U.S. sovereignty. On what ground can the administration punish Assad for defying an international weapons ban and killing civilians? Seven years of indecision have left us the weakest outside power in the war. Russia and Iran have committed fighters, weapons, aircraft, and a readiness to justify any inhumanity and tell any lie on behalf of their client in Damascus. And now, Assad is close to the ultimate Pyrrhic victory. Turkey, defying American pleas, is waging a brutal campaign against the Kurdish People's Protection Units, our only reliable partner and the ground force largely responsible for crushing the Islamic State. U.S. diplomacy was never aligned with the leverage in Syria that comes with force, and now we have no diplomacy at all. Any action that Trump takes will be feckless at best, and possibly disastrous, triggering conflict with Russia or the war with Iran that Bolton and others want, for there is no strategy to guide it except to bomb the shit out of them and get out. Even a joint attack with European allies would be empty without a larger effort to negotiate an end to the war. A few days before the latest gas attack, the president declared victory over the Islamic State and announced that 2,000 U.S. troops in Syria would soon come home. Maybe he will have them march down Pennsylvania Avenue, past his reviewing stand, in the military parade planned for later this year. Trump, had nothing to say about the fate of the Syrian Kurds and our other partner, the Free Syrian Army, or about the possible return of ISIS, or about the regional ambitions of Russia and Iran. The announcement came as a surprise to his generals. After nearly two decades of inconclusive wars in collapsed states against elusive enemies backed by complex arrays of actors, our military leaders no longer think in terms of victory parades. They use phrases like staying in the game and pursuing your objectives. They are far too wised up to suit their shallow, fragile, ignorant commander-in-chief. Trump's taunts and reversals of the past week are the product of a character that we know too well. They also reflect deep American frustration with the limits of our power to win these wars or to end them. Hitting Assad now might bring a momentary sense of just deserts, but there is nothing to be proud of in Syria, 
and no American solution, not even for the gassing of children. That was Might and Right by George Packer from The New Yorker magazine, April 23, 2018. Narrated by Jamie Rennell. Also in the magazine this week, Ian Frazier on a maraschino cherry mogul, Dan Chiason on 2001, A Space Odyssey, Nick Palmgarten on the Rio Grande, Burkhard Bilger on Beans, Carrie Baton on Cardi B, Adam Gopnik on Edward Lear, Emily Nussbaum on Roseanne, Hilton Alls on Carousel, Fiction by Yi Yung Lee, and more. Audible.com produces a weekly audio edition of The New Yorker. To subscribe or to download individual issues, we invite you to go to www.audible.com and enter New Yorker in the search box. To subscribe to the comment podcast, go to www.newyorker.com or to the New Yorker room on the iTunes store.